Well, again, my name is Scott, and it's been my privilege to serve as the senior pastor here at this church for 12 years. And a lot of you, uh, I wasn't, hey, I wasn't fishing. Um, a lot of you know my story. I grew up in Warren, Michigan, and when I was a kid, I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. A lot of kids don't know. I knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that I was going to be an attorney. Uh, because even as a young guy, I wanted to change the world, and I reasoned the way to change the world is by changing laws. I didn't want to be a trial attorney, though that'd be fascinating. I wanted to be a lawmaker or a diplomat. And even in college, I got to spend a career day at the American Embassy in Oslo, Norway. I was, I was passionate about this. And then over time, I came to believe that the way to change the world is not to change the laws but to change the human heart. And only God can change a human heart. And so when I graduated college and it was time to go to law school, I switched and instead of going to law school, <clears throat> I went to seminary to become a pastor. And I had to explain this shift uh, to my parents. I had to explain this shift to my girlfriend. I had to explain this shift, worst of all, to my girlfriend's parents. Now, this girlfriend is now my wife, Angie, so that worked out all right, right? Baby, that worked out okay? She's shrugging, which I'm not sure what that means. Um, but uh, Angie's parents are professional people. Her mom's a doctor. Her father is an attorney. And I remember telling them, and they thought this was the worst idea ever, this shift. And, uh, you know, go into medicine, they said. And I said, well, I can't do that. Medicine makes me nauseous. Uh, go into law, they said. Well, I can't do that. Law makes me nauseous. I, I told them, uh, I, I, I want to change the world uh, by helping people open themselves up to the transformative power of God and then becoming agents of God's transformation. And they thought I had lost my mind. Um, they actually accused me of doing a bait and switch that I had, I had somehow manipulated the situation with their daughter and, uh, you know, I wooed her in by presenting myself as an uh, ambitious young man destined for greatness when in fact I was an insane person destined for poverty. And uh, uh, her parents and I get along uh, great uh, now. So I've always resonated with the story of Frederick Beekner. He's a writer and pastor, now 95 years of age, but he grew up in an unchurched family like I did. He walked into church one day and met Jesus like I did. He went to seminary and became a Presbyterian minister like I did. Now, he grew up in an affluent East Coast community, and he writes about this in one of his books, that he was at a dinner party, and he met a very well-educated, well-meaning woman who asked him this question. They said to him this. She said, I hear you are entering the ministry. Was it your own idea, or were you poorly advised? <laughs> yeah, That's, that was kind of Angie's parents there. And then, uh, and then he goes on in his book to say this. And the answer that she could not have heard, even if I had given it, was that it was not an idea at all. Neither my own nor anyone else's. It was a lump in the throat. It was an itching in the feet. It was a stirring in the blood. It was a name which, when I wrote it out in a dream, I knew it was a name worth dying for, even if I was not brave enough to do the dying myself. Come unto me, Jesus said, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you a high and driving peace. And all of this is carried in this idea of church. The church was Jesus' idea. 
Not only was it his idea, it, it, it's his dream. It's his uh, plan for the world. It's his legacy. It's his family. The church is somehow the, the presence of Jesus in the world. It is unique. And so I want to talk to you this morning about the church, about the church in general and about our church in particular. And I want to begin by taking you back to where the whole idea started. A lot of people don't know this. It started one day, Jesus was with his disciples and he asked them, who do you think I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus blessed Peter. Now this would not have been unusual uh, in that day, rabbis would often bless their students when they got an answer correct. It's what followed the blessing that would have been so unusual and so surprising. And as recorded in the verse we heard read today in Matthew 16, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Now here's the surprising curveball. And I tell you that you are Peter... And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. One scholar said this last sentence is the most discussed uh, sentence in the most discussed paragraph of the entire Gospel of Matthew. And here we see the word church. This is the very first time we see that word church, not just in the Bible, but in human history. Jesus is saying he's going to build an all-inclusive community of love that would not just tolerate, but would embrace every ethnicity, every nationality, every culture, every language, every status, men and women, that would make a family out of enemies, a community that would have as its mission not the enriching of themselves, but the sacrificing of themselves for people on the outside to bring the knowledge of God to every person and the justice of God to every oppressive situation and, and, and the generosity of God to every need and the forgiveness of God to even those who would persecute the church. Understand, not only had nothing like this ever existed before, nothing like this had ever been thought of before. Jesus thought this up. Now remember, it took the disciples a while to figure out who Jesus was fully. When they first met Jesus, they knew that this guy was unique. They learned that he was a great teacher and a miracle worker. They learned that he had a, a special relationship with God the Father. And it was kind of a slow build, remember, in the Gospels until they get to this point. This scripture we read today is the first time we hear it articulated so clearly, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It was a slow burn till they recognized how big Jesus was. And now it's going to be another slow burn till they recognize how big the, the, uh, the idea of Jesus is. I will build my church. My work will continue through my church. Now again, the disciples, uh, their response could have been, when Jesus said, I will build my church, they very well might have said, great, what's a church? Because we didn't really sign up for that. Right? They signed up to follow a rabbi, not to build a church. A lot of people in that day followed rabbis. That, that wasn't weird at all. You pick up a little wisdom. You make some friends. Attract a nice wife. Live a nice life. But build something nobody's ever heard of. Sacrifice time, money, energy. Have people laugh at you mock you, 
go to jail, be put to death? Hey, Peter, was this your idea or were you poorly advised? But they recognize this in the moment that this is a fantastic offer. This, this is worth living for. This is worth dying for. And this makes the catching of fish or the collecting of taxes or the building of a reputation seem very small indeed. So I want us to ask three questions of these words of Jesus that were read. Three key questions that we'll ask. We'll look at two of them now and one of them a little bit later. And the first question is this. Who does the church belong to? And the answer is, we're in church, so just take a stab. Remember, when you're in church, the, the answer to 90% of the questions you'll be asked is Jesus. Um, who does the church belong to? Jesus. Jesus, right. Jesus said, I will build my church. The church belongs to Jesus, and this church belongs to Jesus. This church is but one local expression of the historic and global church of Jesus. Who does the church belong to? Jesus. Jesus. Who is going to build Jesus' church? Jesus. Yeah, correct again. Uh, Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. And I say this to build your confidence this morning. Jesus will build his church. Because is anybody looking at the world right now and thinking, Jesus has his work cut out for him? Right, you might look at the a culture that's growing increasingly secular in which suspicion and opposition toward the church is growing and you might wonder, is it possible for Jesus to build his church in North America in 2021? Or you might wonder if, if Jesus is building his church, he doesn't seem to be doing a very good job. You've seen the data that for the first time in the United States, the number of religious people has dipped below 50%. This comes from the Gallup organization. Uh, they said 47% of Americans now say they belong to a house of worship. That's down from 70% in the mid-1990s, down from 50% in 2019. They say the decline is part of a continued drop in membership over the past 20 years. It may seem like the church is losing ground. And American culture, the data supports this, American culture is growing increasingly secular. But listen, secularization is not a problem for Jesus. Let me say that again. Secularization, not a problem for Jesus. The church of Jesus, historically and globally, has thrived on the margins of culture. It's popularity and power that usually take a church off track. You could argue from the Gospels that Jesus does his best work among irreligious, secular people. Secularization does not scare Jesus at all. The frustration we feel is this dream of Jesus is exactly what the world needs right now. It's even what the, the world craves right now, but the world doesn't see it. There's this disconnect, and it's so frustrating, right? Everyone's talking about how to solve racism, and the Bible offers a worldview in which every human being is made in the image of God. And the Old Testament shows radical inclusion and care for the alien and the foreigner. And the New Testament church brought together ethnicities that were enemies in the culture who became one inside the church, and the oneness was so profound and so unusual in that time and place that it became one of the defining, identifying characteristics of the Christian church. 
Does the world know that? Everyone's talking about increasing polarization in politics, the decrease of civility, and the rise of rage. Listen, the first century uh, culture was very, very similar. In, Jew, in Jerusalem, uh, the Jews had at least three different political parties that couldn't see eye to eye on anything. The only thing most people agreed on in that time and place was their hatred of their occupiers, the Romans. Tax collectors cooperated with the Romans. The zealots wanted to kill every Roman and kill every tax collector. And yet as Jesus was building his church, he includes uh, he includes Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. And very soon after, the church Jesus builds will include Romans and Pharisees and people you would never imagine together. Jesus really was doing something quite new. Polarized politics is not a problem for Jesus. The dream of Jesus is exactly what the world needs, and yet there's this disconnect. There's this misunderstanding. The church in North America has a reputation problem, and the problem in part is due to just a, a, a lack of knowledge, ignorance, uh, some misunderstanding. But if we're honest, we have to own that part of the problem lies with us. We have not always represented Jesus well. We have not always given ourselves to the dream of Jesus. Our elders are calling our congregation to seven days of prayer starting tomorrow. Seven days of prayer, and they put together a seven-day prayer guide, and you can access this prayer guide on the website ward.church slash newsfeed, or you can text this number. You can do it right now. Pull out your cell phones and text the word prayer. Text the word prayer to this number, 248 965 4776, and you'll receive right on your phone for the next seven days the daily prayer alerts. This is a very good time to pray. Our elders are calling our congregation to seven days of prayer, and we're going to pray for our world, for our nation, for our community, and for our church. So I hope you'll participate over the next seven days of prayer. Now, here at the beginning of a brand new uh, year, uh, program year, I want to take a few minutes to review the core values of our church. Now again, our church is but one local expression of the global church of Jesus. So as you might expect, every church has similar values. And yet, each church has its own unique history and culture and personality. So here's the way this little church, this local church, has expressed our five core values. Number one is thoughtful theology. We love God here at Ward Church. We love God with our minds as well as our hearts. We welcome tough questions and avoid simplistic answers. We seek to understand and apply the scriptures to all areas of life. So I want to call you again to thoughtfulness, to grounding ourselves in the scriptures and doing what the Bible says. The second uh, value is phrased this way, audacious generosity. We share time, talent, and treasure for the glory of God and the good of neighbor. We live with open hands, realizing that everything belongs to God. We excel in the grace of giving. I want to call you again to audacious generosity in our world in need. Value number three, we express this way, healthy families. We support the family as God's primary plan for nurture and discipleship. The family was created by God to be a reflection of his character and the vehicle of his grace. 
We invest in marriages, parents, grandparents, kids, and students. We minister to those who know the pain of a broken family. We are family to each other. We have a lot of families that could use some good folks coming alongside and supporting them in this day. The next value is this one, global reach. We share God's heart for all nations, including the nations in our own neighborhoods. The work of justice and mercy starts here at home, but extends near and far. We desire to be people through whom God will bless all nations. This is why we're involved in helping the refugees of Afghanistan who are coming right to our doorstep. The world is at our doorstep. And the last one, extra mile hospitality. We welcome everyone as an honored guest. Taking our role as host seriously, we go the extra mile to let our guests know that they are not just welcome, but wanted. This hospitality is not just for first-time visitors on Sunday morning, but permeates all relationships and extends beyond our walls. This is the value maybe that's been most thwarted over the last 18 months, hospitality. But it's time to crank that up again and welcome people back into our church and into our homes. These are some of the distinctive values of Ward Church, and I could go on. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. At the beginning, I told you we'd ask three questions of the text this morning, and let's look at those again. Who does the church belong to? Jesus. Jesus, Thank you. Who is going to build Jesus' church? Jesus Jesus said, I will build it. How strong will it be? Who said, come on. (laughs) Every answer can't be Jesus. How strong will it be? And the answer is, Very strong. Very strong. Jesus said this, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And that phrase, gates of Hades, that was the way ancient people expressed the ultimate enemies of humanity, uh, death and hell itself. Scholars say uh, hell and Hades might not be exactly the same thing, but here it's the exactly same point. Jesus is very confident in his church. What do gates do? Gates keep people out. And notice where the gates are. The gates are not around the church. The gates are around hell. I think a lot of times we've read this verse and we get the picture in our mind that the gates are around the church and we think what Jesus said was that when the forces of hell are unleashed, the church will stand strong. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said when the forces of the church are unleashed hell cannot stand. While the church belongs to Jesus and is being built by Jesus, we are not passive. We, his church, are to storm the gates of hell. And we know that ultimately the church will prevail. Hell cannot stand against the church. Ultimately the church wins. But right now in our area there are pockets where I think hell is prevailing. Hell is anywhere the will of God is defied. Every time a little child is unwanted, unloved, uncared for, hell is prevailing. Anytime a marriage that started with a man and a woman gazing into each other's eyes and making promises to each other before God and witnesses, every time a marriage crashes and burns, that's hell prevailing. It's not what God wants. 
Every time racial differences divide a street, a neighborhood, a city, a church, anytime there's a community where there's distrust, suspicion, oppression, hell is prevailing. Every time money gets idolized, worshipped, allowed to determine somebody's worth, somebody's value, somebody's security, somebody's dream, hell is prevailing. Every time generations become separated, isolated, that's hell prevailing, and it is not acceptable for hell to prevail. Debating worship styles and church programs and even how to get people back inside church buildings, those are important, but they could be distractions, friends. Our job is not to fill a building. Our job is not to get back to normal. Our job is not to meet a budget. Our job is not to run a program. It's not to maintain status quo. It's not to keep any traditions perpetuated. Our job is to put hell out of business. And this is our day. That's why the Apostle Paul uh, says to one of the churches, he says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Jesus, you know, God in Jesus is doing something right now. This is why Paul said elsewhere, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And I want to be part of a community of people who say, you know, we will give everything to realize the redemptive potential that God has placed before us. And I'm calling you to this. We all need to pray and give and serve and take relational risks and ground ourselves in the Word of God because this is our day. This is our world. This is our opportunity. God wants to use you. God wants to use us to take on the very gates of hell, to redeem this world that He loves so much. And we're going to pray that it would be so. If you're able to physically, I'm going to ask you to go to your knees. And if going to your knees means you might never get up again, just get really, just get really low. Let's go to our knees or get as low as possible and assume a posture of prayer. Let's get low. Let's get humble. Take a moment now to talk to God in silent prayer. Maybe you've got some things to confess. Maybe you have not represented Jesus well. Maybe you haven't been part of his mission to defeat hell. Confess that to Jesus. Maybe you've been fearful or timid or have doubted the power of Jesus. Come clean. Allow him to forgive you, renew you, and fill you with fresh confidence. And now talk with God about this next program year. Ask God to help you see what you're not able to see. Ask God to convict you of sins of which you are unaware, to search you, to guide you, 
Ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit to work in you and through you. And now take a moment and pray for very specific people that you know who could use the power of God right now. Maybe they've lost their footing spiritually. Maybe the need is physical. Maybe it's someone for whom anger and resentment has them locked in icy bitterness. Pray for that person, that neighbor, that coworker, that family member that God would set them free. Oh God, we want to be a church that prevails. Help shape our church to represent Jesus well and to have Jesus' values and Jesus' mission at the core of our being. Guide us when we're off track. Keep us on point. Help us to know how to minister to this world that's surrounded by needs in every direction. Help us to be a church worthy to bear your name. For this we pray in Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, as Jesus' church. And everybody said together, amen.